Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Almost 100 years ago, at the end of Prohibition, in a little country town, there was a guy who put in what they used to call a beer joint or a tavern, a dive. And the rumor was that there was some illegal stuff going on too. So there was a church in this community that started praying that something would happen. I mean, they'd already tried to appeal to the powers that were in the town, and that didn't lead anywhere. So they got the idea, let's have a prayer meeting that God will just do something to shut this, this bar down. And after the prayer meeting that night, a big thunderstorm came through and lightning struck the place and it burned burned to the ground. So the the bar owner sued the church (laughs) for damages. It went to court. And so there were opening arguments and the church said, we had nothing to do with that. What happened had nothing to do with our prayer meeting. So they said, it wasn't our fault. And the opening statement, the lawyer for the bar said, yes, it is the church's fault because they prayed and lightning struck it and it went down. So after the opening arguments or opening statements, the judge said, well, I don't know how this case is going to come out, but there are two facts that can't be challenged. Number one, the bar owner believes in prayer. And number two, the church does not. It is a challenge to believe in prayer, isn't it? Because prayer isn't a natural exercise, at least from the human perspective. Because in prayer, you're talking to someone you can't see and someone who doesn't speak back audibly. And on top of that, answer prayer isn't always the way we think it should be. Sometimes God seems to answer very clearly. Sometimes he doesn't seem to answer at all. And he answers or things happen in ways that are very different from what we pray for. And the truth be told here today that We have a little insecurity about prayer. I do. You know, it's strange how many things we do really well. You know, we live in an age where we we preach pretty well, we sing pretty well, we have a lot of Christian entertainment. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we do really well, but for most of us, if, uh, if we want to feel embarrassed, all someone has to do is mention our prayer life. Our series is called I Follow, and it's more than religion. In fact, it's the opposite of religion. It's having a real vibrant relationship with God in which we're not adherents to a religion, but we're followers of a person. We're followers of Jesus Christ. And to follow Jesus means we do what he did and we obey what he has to say. And in this series already, we've looked at several key elements of following Jesus. We started with how our relationship with God begins with a message called, I believe. And then the week after that, I testify because once you receive God's forgiveness and everlasting life, The next thing is to share with others, and it starts with believer's baptism. That's the first way we do it, and after that, we talk to others about what God has done in our lives and tell them what God offers them. Week three was I plug in. It was about the church that that Jesus wanted his group of people who followed him, and you and I are in that right now. We're in that time frame, and we, we do plug in to the family of God. 
But today I want to talk to you about prayer. And the title of today's message is, I Talk to God. I think we should just all take a deep breath and think about that for just a moment. You know, there are some things that many of us who grew up following God, there, there's, there's some statements that we make that we're so familiar with that I think we've sort of lost sight of the impact of them. I mean, for the average New Springer today, if someone came to you from a different faith tradition and said, what, what, what is prayer? I think most of us, we would say the same answer. Prayer is talking to God. But I don't want you to just think about that for a moment. I talk to God. I talk to God. I mean, I can't get in to see the president. I probably couldn't get in to see the governor. I mean, there are so many famous people in the world that you and I will never have the opportunity to talk to, but who cares? We talk to God. We talk to the one who wrote the codes for DNA. We talk to the one who stepped out on nothing, stood on nothing, and spoke the universe into existence. We, we talk to the one who figured out, or not only figured out, knew the precise qualities of gravity that have to be down to a microscopic point to function and to work right. We talk to God. That is massive. And it's so different from just prayer. You see, all religions pray. I have secular friends who are not even sure they believe in God who pray. As someone said, there are no atheists in foxholes. I have non-theist friends who on occasion will pray. They're not sure anything's out there, but it's like, I'm in enough trouble. I'm going to ask for something to happen. All religions pray. A lot of religions have mantras or chants. But talking to God is 180 degrees different from that. We're going to talk about that today, and we're going to need every minute, so let's jump right in. We're talking about following Jesus, and the good news for us is that Jesus has, hasn't left us to just wallow around in some of the foolish things that religion gets into. Jesus left us a clear pattern for prayer, and his pattern for us is different from anything anybody had ever seen before. We call that pattern the Lord's Prayer. We're going to focus on it today. Although I don't think the Lord's Prayer is the best name for it because it's not a prayer that Jesus would pray because the prayer asks for forgiveness of sin. So it's important for us to understand that the Lord's Prayer is really more like the follower's prayer. But since you and I know it by that title, I'm going to use that title today. We're going to talk about the Lord's Prayer. Where would you find it? If you want to know in the Bible where the Lord's Prayer is, where would you find it? Well, this is very interesting. It's in two books of the Bible. It's in Matthew and Luke. You know there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, this is too much information. We call Matthew, Mark, and Luke the synoptics because they're very similar. So the fact that we find the Lord's Prayer in Matthew and Luke, it, it might be like a lot of other situations where there's one event that gets reported by all three writers. But what makes the Lord's Prayer different is that it's not the same situation. The first time Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer is the one we're about to read in the Gospel of Matthew early in his ministry, and it's embedded in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Luke's Gospel tells us uh, about an occasion where Jesus gave the Lord's Prayer, and it's much later. It's even in a different locale. So today, let's just start with that Matthew version. Jesus is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and he gives us the Lord's Prayer, so you know it already probably, but let's just look at it just in case. Uh, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You know that. That's the Lord's Prayer. It's also in the book of Luke. And the reason why I point that out, and I keep stressing it early in this message, is 
In Matthew and Luke, there's a sentence, two different sentences that precede the giving of the Lord's Prayer. And those sentences are really important to us. Let's look at the Luke version. The Bible says this, once Jesus was praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, here's our sentence, Lord, teach us to pray. And then Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer. Now, you should understand that this guy who asked Jesus to teach him to pray, it wasn't like he'd never prayed before. The average Jewish man prayed three times every day, sunrise, 3 p.m., and nightfall. You guys remember when we did Clash of Dynasties, the Daniel Chronicles? You remember how Daniel got into trouble and wound up going to the lion's den? He prayed three times a day. Well, that's how the Jewish man lived. He prayed three times a day, sunrise, 3 p.m., and nightfall. So when this guy said, Lord, teach us to pray, it wasn't that he was unfamiliar with prayer. It was just he watched Jesus pray, and he recognized, I don't know what I've been doing all these years, but it ain't prayer. Because when I look at him, I mean, you know, it would be like if those of you who play golf, if you watch the world's greatest golfer, you know, I don't know who it is today. I haven't watched the rankings lately. But, you know, if you wound up playing around with him, you would say, I'm not sure what I've been playing, but it ain't golf. And, and that's, that's what this disciple, I mean, he knew about prayer, but he just watched Jesus. And he, he understood something very clearly. With this disciple, prayer was a means to an end. When he watched Jesus, it was clear that prayer was the end. In other words, prayer was what it was all about. Jesus won the battles in, in prayer, and then what God did in his life was an outgrowth of that. So he said, I want to know how to pray like that. So that's the sentence that gives us the Luke version. Lord, teach us to pray. But what about the sentence that precedes the Matthew version? As I said, Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. By the way, if you want to read the Sermon on the Mount, you should always do that. It's a great sermon. Uh, Matthew, it's in Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7. And by the way, we did a series on the Sermon on the Mount called Takeoff back in 2016. It's probably available in the bookstore. But right before Jesus gave the Matthew version, the sentence he used was this is how you should pray. Now, it didn't get any better than that. I mean, because here's the deal. We all want our prayers answered, right? And, and again, we hear a lot of stuff from religion that's not trustworthy. But for Jesus to say, this is how you should do it. That's why we're spending our, our entire talk today in the I Follow series on what we know of as the Lord's Prayer. Now, through the years, I, I, I've looked at that statement, this is how you should pray. I always figured that the emphasis that Jesus had was on the word how. This is how you should pray. Well, it's embedded, but that's not where the emphasis was. The emphasis is on the word you. This is how you should pray. Now, the reason why his emphasis is on you is he's just, gonna, he's just finished talking about two bad ways to pray. In other words, he talked about two ways that people pray in religion that, that don't get anywhere. And by contradistinction, he's saying, this is how you should pray. So just FYI, for our information, what are the two bad ways to pray? Because Jesus said, don't pray like this. Well, the first one he gave, he, he said, don't be like actors. That's what the word hypocrite means. Hypocrite is a term that comes from acting. Jesus said, don't be actors. Don't pray to be seen of people. Now, a lot of you didn't grow up in a religious tradition, and you've come to faith in adulthood. But for those of you who grew up in a religious tradition, have you ever heard someone pray this long, eloquent public prayer, so loud it's like God is hard of hearing? 
And, and the, the thing that really freaks us out is that when they're just talking to you, they like talk in normal language, but then when they start praying, it's like they start speaking this weird language, this old English stuff, you know, oh, thou God. <laughs> okay. Okay. Does that get anywhere? I mean, does it help your prayer if you interject old English into it? And, and nobody ever figures that, you know, back in old England, when they spoke old English, that was common language. But it's like now that we're 400 years later, this like really jacks, you know, really enhances your prayer. <laughs> Jesus said, don't do that. That's, 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 not, that's not going to get you anywhere. The second bad way to pray, he said, don't use recitations or repetitions. Jesus' words, babbling like pagans. You know, there was a comedian back in the 50s. This is before I was born. But he used to have this gig that he would do, this comedy routine in which he kind of like mimicked the noise that people make when they're in corporate prayer, prayer and they're reciting stuff. And, and his, his, uh, his, his little deal that he did was humada, humada, humada. And I used to hear him, you know, watching old television shows. And then I actually began to be part of religious services where they chant prayers. And I thought to myself, you know, he was right. That's what it sounds like. And the idea that somehow if I recite a prayer or if I repeat a prayer and I'm just saying words, Jesus said, that's not going to get anywhere either because that's not what prayer is meant to be. So he said, when you, when you pray, don't, don't pray to be seen and, and don't babble. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Other people may do that, but this is how you should pray. And that's how he set up the Lord's Prayer. Now, I want you to hear something because this is going to like push some of us a little bit. It's really important that we understand that the Lord is teaching us here that prayer is not words to be recited. The Lord's prayer is an outline to follow. You know, here's, here's the weird thing. I mean, like I said, you give religion anything and it can screw it up. The weird thing is what is the, what is the verb that a lot of people use in relationship to the Lord's prayer? Recite. We're going to recite the Lord's Prayer. Jesus just said, don't do it reciting. Now, here's why it's important for us to understand what the Lord's Prayer is. It's an outline to follow. It's a pattern. You know, is, would it be okay to repeat the Lord's Prayer? Yeah, it would be fine. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just it's not what it was intended for. Maybe this is the best way I can think of to explain it. Years ago, when I was a kid, you know, fruit juice was really expensive. So they started having frozen concentrate. I don't know if they still sell it or not. You just buy a little, little, little can of frozen concentrate. Now, it wasn't meant to be eaten as it was. You could do that if you wanted to. But you were to mix it with something so that it would, it would be what it was intended to be. So that's the way the Lord's Prayer is. It was meant to be mixed with your life. Can you repeat the Lord's Prayer? Sure, but it's going to be missing something that's really important to you. It's going to be missing your situation. The Lord's Prayer is bringing Jesus' pattern together with our situation. And that's what it's meant to be. Let me give you another illustration. A lot of you go into a meeting tomorrow when you get to work. What do we have at meetings? We have agendas. Now, how many times do we have a two-hour meeting but a half-page agenda? Now, wouldn't it be something to go into the room to have the meeting and somebody read the agenda and say, okay, we're dismissed? I mean, I've been in some meetings that have been better off if we'd done that. <laughs> but you understand, that wouldn't be the inference. The, the agenda is just to keep us on track. 
So whenever you read the Lord's Prayer, it's not, it's not the complete thing. It's just an agenda to keep us on track. It, it sets up a pattern. It sets up an outline for our prayers. And one more time, the Lord's Prayer is God's pattern meets my situation. God has left me the pattern. I bring my issues and I plug them in to the elements of the Lord's Prayer. So let's, get, let's dive right in. This isn't a sermon. This is a workshop. And by the way, there's homework. All I'm going to do is like give you the different aspects or meanings of the, of the core issues of the Lord's Prayer. And I would encourage you to do this for homework today. Take these elements of the Lord's Prayer, take them home, put it in your own language, and then build some prayers. Build some prayers of bringing your situation together with these core elements that Jesus taught us. Okay? First two words of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father. So like, well, Mark, I sell right past that. That's just like sort of me saying, God, I'm checking in. But it's more than that. Think about the words. Our, by the way, you will notice that all the pronouns in the Lord's Prayer are plural. It's not my father, you know, give me my needs, my daily bread. You know, it's our. Why? Because right out of the box, God wants us to remember we're not the only person in the universe. The Lord's Prayer is not a selfish prayer. You and I live in a very individualistic culture. It's very hard to follow Jesus in an individualistic culture because the Lord wants us to remember there are a lot of people here. And the beauty is it's not going to cost us anything to pray for other people. Our Father. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. This thing of calling God Father is something that Jesus brought from heaven. It had never been on the earth before. Did you know in the Old Testament that there are only seven references to God as father, and none of them are personal. They're all references to God as being father of the nation of Israel. So, just FYI, you recognize Moses never called God father. David never called God father. Just Joseph. I mean, you can go through the list of the Old Testament. None of them called God father until Jesus came to earth. And basically, Jesus, the only begotten of God, called, I mean, he'd been talking to his father from eternity past. So when Jesus came and told us that we could have a relationship with God, it was as if Jesus was saying, you can call him father too. I call him father. He is my father, but he's your father as well. In the book of Romans chapter eight, verse 15, the Bible says you have not received a spirit. Now read that word attitude. You have not received an attitude that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. Hmm, that's interesting. Abba and Father mean the same thing, sort of. You will notice that in all the times that the name Abba is, or Abba is used in the New Testament, it's never translated. The translators didn't know what to do with that. Because you see, in the Old Testament, they didn't even call God by name. We come over to the New Testament, and Jesus has basically told us that we can call God Abba Father. Well, the reason why the translators didn't want to translate that is it's such a tender term of affection. If we used any word in the English language for it, the closest we could come to it would be Daddy. In fact, Abba is not so much a word, it's a sound. You know... One of the earliest sounds that a, a, a child will make for his, his or her father is Papa. It, it's a natural sound. It isn't so much a word as it is a sound. Abba is the same thing. And so we're, Jesus said, you can call him Abba, Father. But the translators didn't want to do that, so they just brought the actual word over without translating it. Now, I want you to think about that. 
what that verse is telling us is that God is our daddy. But now here's the thing. I'm, I'm cautious about even going there because some of you didn't have good fathers. Some of you had absentee fathers. Some of you had angry fathers. Some of you actually had abusive fathers. And it's like, Mark, I don't even want to think about God as my father. I want you to just work with me for a second. I don't know who had the best dad in here. I would feel that I did. Some of you might feel like you did. But let's just talk about those of you who had great dads. Do you know what the Bible says about our dads compared to God? Here's what Jesus said. If you being evil know how to give good things to your children, how much more does your father in heaven, your father in heaven, know how to give good things to those who ask him? I mean, you could take the best daddy in this room and compare it to God. He is evil compared to God as your father. And it's so beautiful to me that Jesus said, look, before you even get into talking about anything, just celebrate the fact that you have a heavenly father who loves you. And we're going to, oh, well, we've got more to say about that in just a few moments, but let's just keep it there right now. Now let's take the next line, in heaven. You say, well, Mark, what does that mean? Well, did, did Jesus teach us to pray our Father in heaven because God didn't know where he lived? Is it our reminder, oh God, by the way, you're in heaven? Or is it like addressing an envelope for all of you under 40? We used to actually send letters with paper envelopes. No, no, this is massive. In fact, personally, I think one of the biggest phrases in the Lord's prayer is in heaven. Why? Because you see, when I pray, I think I know what I need. I want to say, Lord, this is a broken universe. If you'll just do what I want you to do, it'll be okay again. So God wants me to understand he sees things from a perspective I don't have. I'm down here on earth level, but you see it from heaven. God, I think I know what I need, but you see what I can. What would that mean? What does God see that we don't see? Well, he sees the future for one thing. I mean, so many times I prayed for something and later on I'm saying, God, I'm thank thankful that you didn't give me what I thought I needed because the events of life after I prayed changed the whole landscape. He knows the future. Number two, not only does God know the future, but he sees things from heaven's perspective. This is very sensitive and I'm careful about saying this, but how many times do we pray for God to spare someone's life and leave them here on the earth? But can we never forget that when a person is leaving home down here, they're coming home in heaven. And so God sees things from a perspective that we don't have. I don't know if this is as big to you as it is to me, but this third thing is God sees what's going on inside the people that we're praying about. I can't see what's in someone else's heart. And, and you know, sometimes I have to say, God, I think I know how to pray for this person, but you know what should happen because you see in his or her heart. Let me give you an example. Back in the days of the early church, there was a particular persecutor who was arresting Christians and causing some of them to die. His name was Saul, and he was a lawyer, and he was in Jerusalem, and he was an up-and-comer, but he was making his reputation by persecuting, arresting, and killing Christians. Now, back in the early church, don't you know there were a lot of people that said, God, kill him. The world would be better off if you killed this man because he's causing so much damage. But that wasn't God's plan, was it? Because one day he would be on the road to Damascus with a sack of open arrest warrants and he would meet Jesus and God would change his name from Saul to Paul and he would become the greatest evangelist in the history of the world and write 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. See, they were saying God strike him dead, but God decided to strike him alive. <laughs> See what I'm saying? 
When we say, our Father in heaven, God, you see the future. I don't see it. I think I know what to pray for, but I don't. I, I don't know what's going on. I don't know how you see things from heaven. And on top of that, I can't even see what's in the hearts of the people that I'm praying for. So my Father, in our Father in heaven, and now hallowed be your name. You know, I have a problem here when I pray. I want to race right to what I need. Are you like me? It's like when I pray, oh God, uh, America's broken, fix America. God, I pray for my kids, I pray for my wife, I pray you know, that you'll supply this need, I pray that you'll do this for the church. I want to just race right in there. But I heard a great preacher preach, I saw it on YouTube, this guy's been dead for a good while, but his sermon's on YouTube, and I watched it yesterday on the Lord's Prayer, and he said something really beautiful. He said, before God wants us to talk about us in prayer, he wants us to talk about him. Hmm. Now, let's be clear on something. He's, he wants us to talk about us. I mean, in just a minute, he's going to give us the big three. Give us, forgive us, lead us. Everything you need in those three. Give us, forgive us, lead us. We'll get there. God wants us to talk about those things. But it's important for us, before we go to give us, forgive us, and lead us, that we talk about God. And, and, and it's not just for his benefit, although he deserves worship and glory. God wants us to talk about him being God so that we will know that when we pray. And before we ever start going into what we need, it's, it's our way of saying, God, you're God, I'm not. Holy, and that's where we get the word hallowed, holy means separate. Not, not separate like there's distance, but just a remember, remembrance that God is not us. You say, Mark, when you look at the 21st century church in America, what are the issues that you see? I think number one on my list is we have a way of reducing God down to our level. And, and the thing of it is, that might be comfortable when we want to maybe make ourselves feel a little better about sin. But the problem is if we reduce God down to our level, he's not the God that we need him to be. So when I pray, hallowed be your name, what I'm doing before I ever get to what I need, I'm saying, God, you're weak. Uh, you're, 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 I'm weak, you're strong. God, I fail, but you never fail. God, I'm ignorant, but you know everything. God, I'm a sinner, but you're righteous. I'm good on occasion, but God is good all the time. God, I'm mortal, you're everlasting. I can be selfish, but he's full of grace. I can't run my own life. He runs the universe. When I say, hallowed be your name, I'm saying, God, you are the God that I need because you are so much bigger than I am. And now... The most interesting line of the Lord's Prayer to me. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I really think this is the most challenging aspect of prayer. Work with me for a second. When we pray in a broken world, we are asking God to make things better or even right in a world that's broken by sin and ruled by Satan. I want to say that one more time. When we pray asking God to make things better or even right, we're asking God to do that in a world that's broken by sin and ruled by Satan. Think about what that means. Do you understand we're talking about a cosmic tension? We're saying this world is broken and Satan rules it, but I'm your child and I'm living in this world and I'm asking you to make things right or make things better. Well, right out of the box, there's certain things that we're admitting when we pray this line. We're saying, first of all, I know I'm not living in the kingdom. 
I, I am a, as the Bible says, I'm a pilgrim. I'm a tourist in this world. When I was a kid growing up in Texas, we used to sing a song called, This World is Not My Home. I'm just passing through. So when I pray, Lord, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, your kingdom come, I'm saying, I understand I don't live in the kingdom. Number two, I'm saying Jesus' kingdom is coming, which means this world and its setup is just temporary. And what I am saying is, God, I am looking forward to the day when it's not a question of who I vote for. I'm looking forward to the day when this world has Jesus to be king and he will rule with righteousness and justice and peace and there won't be any more racism. There won't be any more anger or hatred. There won't be any more pain or sorrow, sickness or death. And I'm saying, Lord, here I am, stuck in this world waiting for the day when Jesus comes to make things right. Number three, I'm also saying, and I, I know I'm going to, I'm opening a can of worms here, but it needs to be open. I am admitting what Jesus clearly spoke in the Lord's prayer, that God's will is not done on this earth. Hence, I would not have to pray, may your will be done on, on the earth as it is in heaven. So what I am saying is your will is not done on the earth. I talk to Christians sometimes who believe that everything is God's will. And they will even say things to me, I understand that everything is not God's direct will, but whatever comes into our life, God has given permission for. Only in an extreme secondary or tertiary sense. If someone says to me that God's will is done in the sense that God allowed people to have freedom to choose and with those choices came consequences that I guess, as I said, in a secondary or tertiary sense, I would say, I guess technically it could be true that everything in an extended sense could be God's will in the sense that he gave us the ability to have free choice and the free choices often hurt people. But to somehow say that everything that happens in this world is God's will is blasphemy. It is worse than blasphemy. It is making God responsible for sin. I mean, Jesus said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which means in heaven, everything is God's will. On earth, a lot of stuff that happens is not God's will. When I pray, and I pray God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, I am asking for, by definition, a miracle. Do you know how to define a miracle? I'm like, well, that's a weird kind of twilight zone thing. No, 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 no. It's not what a miracle is. Never forget this new spring. I think I preached a sermon on it one time. I'm not even sure where I'd find it. A miracle is the normalcy of heaven intersecting the normalcy of earth. Can we get that? And that's, that's what a miracle is. See, in heaven, nobody gets sick. In heaven, nobody dies. In heaven, everybody treats everybody well. In heaven, there, you know, nobody, nobody suffers. That is the normalcy of heaven. When I pray for a miracle, I'm just asking God for, for just a brief moment. I, I know I'm living in a broken world. I know I'm running, living in a world that's sin-cursed. I know I'm living in a world that's headed for destruction. But Lord, I'm your child, and I'm here, and I'm asking for just a moment, a little shaft of heaven come down and intersect my life. May your will be done on earth the way it's done in heaven. Now here's the challenge. God will not always answer that prayer the way we ask him to because by definition, if he did, we would be ruler of the universe and that's not going to happen or this world would suddenly be heaven on earth and this world is never going to be heaven on earth. But every once in a while, God says yes. 
And it's hard to understand. I mean, if you read Acts chapter 12, the church prayed for two apostles who got arrested. They prayed for James. They prayed for Peter. James got executed and Peter got released. I mean, understanding why God works the way he does is beyond me. But I do know this. I'm not the most brilliant man in the world and I'm sure not a Bible scholar, but I do know this from Jesus' prayer. He told me to ask. And I don't see any harm in asking because every once in a while, God says yes, and he opens heaven and there's a shaft of light that comes through and God does a miracle. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now comes the part where we start asking. Give us this day our daily bread. Well, it's not just bread, it's it's what we need. So God knows that we need things and he says, ask for what you need. You see, this is why you don't want to just quote the Lord's Prayer because you want to like bring in all that stuff that you need today. And my time is pretty, pretty well gone. There's so much I'd love to say, but there's one aspect of this part of the prayer that really stands out to me. In the same chapter, Jesus would say, your father knows exactly what you need before you ask him. Do you realize that when you tell God your needs, it's not news? He already knows. You know what's really beautiful to me? I wish I knew how to preach. Because if I could preach, I could tell you this wonderful news that do you understand that when you ask God for what you need, often he's already been working on the solution before you even asked. Some of you right now, it's like, well, I don't know. I don't want to bother God about this. And God's like, well, I've been working on this. If she would just ask me. The Lord taught me this very early. And I'm thankful for this lesson. I was in my early 20s. I was associate pastor of my home church in Fort Worth. It was an inner city church, and we had started kind of a prehistoric version of, of Kids World. But this inner city church was such, the way it was situated, a lot of the children who wanted to come to our church didn't have transportation, and their parents had all kinds of issues. And so we had, Marilyn Snyder, and this is before Jared was born, I think we only had Jonathan, he was a baby. We drove to Houston, and while I was driving back from Houston on I-45, I started thinking, what if we had a passenger van? Mary Alice and I could go pick up some of these kids, but I couldn't pick them up in my car because the car I was coming back to Houston in, and you guys are all too young to know what I'm talking about. The car I was coming back in was a Volkswagen Rabbit. (laughs) Barely room for us. And I'm like, if I had a passenger van, we could go pick up kids, but I don't have the money. I don't have two nickels to rub together. It's just one of those things where I thought, wouldn't it be great to have that? I'd never had the idea until right then. Marilyn and I drove into Fort Worth. I opened the garage door. Before I could get our luggage out of the car, I could hear the phone ringing. And so I went in and answered the phone, and it was my dad on the phone. He said, Mark. He said, you know, I got a call from Roger Haney. Now, Roger had a used car dealership in our church. And he said, you know, it's the weirdest thing. Now, you got to understand, I hadn't talked to my dad about this. I didn't even talk to Mary Alice about it. I just had it in my head. I hadn't even had the idea until a few minutes before. He said, Roger called and said he took in a 15-passenger Dodge van on a trade-in. He said, doesn't know why he took it in, but if you want it, you can have it. What stood out to me was Roger called dad before God put the thought in my head. Why? Because your father knows what you need before you ask him. So ask him, give us this day our daily bread. Okay, let's go to the second one. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Well, if there was ever a place in the Bible where we need an accurate translation, it's this one. We sin every day, and we know that. But this prayer does something that that Jesus taught us. This prayer does something we need to pay attention to. It ties our forgiveness from God 
to the forgiveness that we give to others. Now, there are two reasons why you really need a correct translation of this. First of all, it says, forgive us as. The word as there means in the same way. So in other words, if I'm grudging with my forgiveness to others, God is grudging in his forgiveness to me. If I'm slow to forgive others, woo, God is slow to forgive me. Because the Bible says he forgives us in the same way. But it's the second part that we really need the correct translation on. Because the way we were given the Lord's Prayer with the, with the authorized translation, it was forgive us as I forgive those. So it's sort of like as I move, then you move. But that's not the way the prayer came down. The way Jesus taught us to pray was, Father, forgive me as I have already forgiven those who sin against me. Hmm. There's a problem there. The truth be told, most of us think about our sins against God as like this. I know that because you know how we pray? God, please forgive me of all my sins. It's like they're in a bag somewhere. God, just take them all at one time, smash the bag. Can't be very big. God, please forgive me of all my sins. If I've sinned against you, please forgive me. But when somebody hurts us, it's big. I can't sleep at night. I keep replaying and replaying it. This, they, this, this big sin. And, and we even might say, I can't forgive. Do you know the nasty little secret we're not wanting to admit? We must think we're God. In other words, if I sin against a holy God, here I'm a flawed, broken person. I sin against a holy God, it's not very big. But if a flawed, broken sinner, per, sinner sins against a flawed, broken person, me, and I think it's like this and I can't forgive, I'm like, I must be God. Because clearly they've offended someone very big if the sin is like this. And Jesus said, no, it's just the opposite. By the way, forgiveness doesn't mean letting an abuser back into your life. It just simply means you tear up the invoice. And the Bible says when we pray every day, it is, Lord, forgive me as I have already forgiven those who sin against me. And it may not be easy to do from the human perspective, but don't you need God's forgiveness in your life? I mean, every day of our life, I have an expression that I use, I tell Mary Alice all the time, I want to keep the windows clean between me and God. Forgive us. This and I'm through. Here's the last statement in the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This can be a little bit of a challenge because to pray God lead us not into temptation, does it mean like if we don't ask God, he will lead us into temptation? No, that's not what it means. We can find temptation by ourselves, right? What it just simply means is, Lord, I need your leadership. Today, I need you to give me what I don't have that I need. I need you to forgive me of my sins, but God, I need you to lead me today because I don't know, I don't know how to live my life. And if I'm, if, I'm left, if I'm left without your leadership, I'll go right into temptation and Satan will have easy pickings in my life. And I'll suffer because I get into the wrong place, the wrong situation, the wrong person at the wrong time. So Lord, lead me. I don't know how to live my life. Jesus said, this is how you should pray and if we're following Jesus, it's a fail-safe plan. Thanks for listening today. God bless. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.